Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. may be seated. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. My name is Jesse. I'm the pastor here at Kishwaukee Bible Church. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. We're glad to have you worshiping with us this morning and kicking off 2018. But not just kicking off 2018 in general. We are glad to have you as we kick off specifically this series we're about to begin today in the Gospel of John, a series we're calling Jesus Changes Everything. And if there's one thing, there's one thing that I hope you walk away with both today and over the 20 weeks leading up to Easter all the way through to the end of the school year, it's this, no matter where you are in life or where you've come from, or what you're facing today because of something you did or something that was done to you in the past. No matter where you are or left to yourself where you think you're going, Jesus changes everything. And that's the, for true, as is true for us who've been following Him for years, and that's true for any today who would today put their faith in Him today. That's what we're going to be looking at in this series, and we'll begin today by looking at how Jesus changes beginnings. In Jesus, God rewrites the story. If you have a Bible with you or would like to uh, grab one from the the back, um, we'll be looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. John was a, a man who walked with Jesus, and this is the beginning of his take on Jesus' story. I'm going to begin by reading it again as we focus today on how Jesus changes beginnings. Let me read then the beginning of this gospel, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. This is God's word. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, 
This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are high and lofty things. The beginning of time, the creation of the world, the revelation of yourself, and the person of your Son. Yet we've known them, and they've been made known to us when your Son came down. And so I pray that today, as high and lofty as these things are, I pray that today we would know them through the life of that man named Jesus. That we would always look to Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The beginning of a story is arguably its most important part. In a few sentences, an author will either capture your imagination or lose your ear. And whether or not one makes it to the end of a story and in what disposition they make it there is in large measure determined by one's encounter with its beginning. Consider some of these rather famous first lines in literature. Call me Ishmael. First line of Moby Dick. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. What about this one? It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. And there are others, one of my favorites from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Yet beginnings do more than simply draw us in and draw us along. They prepare us for the road ahead. They beg questions that will later be answered or left unanswered. They set expectations that will later be fulfilled or left unanswered unfulfilled, and they whet appetites that will later be met with feasts or with famines. Tolstoy began one novel, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And he goes on to tell the unhappy story of the family of Anna Karenina. J.M. Barry, a Scottish author, famously wrote, All children except one grow up. The reader's not disappointed when they're told the story of Peter Pan, who in the end is even one who doesn't grow up. Because the beginning of a story foreshadows its end. If those who hear it, even if those who hear it, do not consciously pick up on where it is headed. Yet when they look back, Back over that story, a reader can see that the path they traveled was set for them from those very first words. 
So the first line of the Bible reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the story of the Bible turns out to be about God creating this world and recreating it after all his good work goes wrong. So let me ask you then, let me ask you, if the story was yours to write, if the story of Jesus was yours to write, where would you have begun? What would you have written? How would you have begun the most important story ever written? If you had been there and and walked with Him, what would you have written? How would you begin the story of Jesus? I don't know how you would have begun. But today we get to look at how John began. Writing at the end of an era when all others who walked with Jesus were dying off. When he was very likely the last one standing. He had lived so long that many thought he was going to outlive death itself. But the day finally came when that wasn't as certain as it once had been. And so he put pen to paper to tell once more a story that he must have told many times before in order that his side of the story might outlive the death he now faced, having not only walked with Jesus, but having been his closest companion. And John begins with three astonishing claims. That the story of Jesus began at the beginning. That the story of Jesus is about bringing us back to the beginning. And that the story of Jesus is about giving us what we were meant to have from the beginning. That it began at the beginning. That it's about bringing us back to the beginning. And that it's about giving us what we were meant to have from the beginning. So first, how the story of Jesus began at the beginning. It's interesting to look back on the Gospels that preceded John's and to see what they said the story of Jesus, where they said the story of Jesus began. Uh, Mark, who was the first to, to tell the story, begins with Jesus' baptism. He writes, in the beginning... Uh, He writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then he goes on to tell of Jesus getting dunked. For those who have questions about it, full immersion, getting dunked. To solve any theological conundrums that have persisted over the years, Jesus getting dunked. Matthew, though, Matthew in his gospel pushes the beginning back to Jesus' birth. And Luke pushes it further to the angelic announcement that got it all underway. Can you picture the beginnings of these stories in your mind? But when John picks up his pen, he pushes the beginning back further still. Mark wrote of the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But when John writes, for him, the story of Jesus began at the very beginning. Listen again to what John says in verse 1. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. 
John makes the astonishing claim that before he was baptized and before he was born as a babe, before stepping onto the stage of history, Jesus was the one who set history in motion. Before stepping into creation, Jesus was the one through whom creation was made. Reminds me of the story of Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple. I'm not here to get into debates about technology, but some of you may not know that after he founded Apple in the late 70s, early 80s, and the company started to take off, eventually he was ousted by his board in the mid-1980s. And it only brought back after 10 years had gone by, 10 years later, when there was little left to Apple than its core. (laughs) I thought about that one. But the point is that when he stepped back into the company, when he stepped back into that company again, he was stepping into a company that he had helped to create. At that point, Jobs was his own backstory. But for Jesus, the stage of history is something very different. While Jobs was, in a sense, the backstory to his reentry into Apple, When he first started out, he was just riding the wave of the latest technological revolution. He was standing on the the backbone, the shoulders of a hundred years of innovation. And even Apple was created in the beginning to sell a computer created not by Jobs, but by his partner. But for Jesus, the stage of history onto which he stepped is one built by his own hands. You may know the story of creation from the early chapters of Genesis. There it says, even as we began to read, using language John picks up on, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that into an unformed and empty world, into the darkness, God spoke. And His Word did what His Word is meant to do. It brought, it brought form to the formless. It, it filled the void. It turned darkness into light. Yet where Genesis says, in the beginning, God spoke, John says, in the beginning was the Word. The verb be, becomes a noun. Turns out to be a noun. God speaking is really all about the, the Word he, he spoke into action which turns out to be Jesus. At the beginning, present, personal, and divine. Not just a a force awakened. Certainly not the last Jedi. But one who was carrying out the will of the Father since the very beginning of the world. Now it says in verse 4, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is where the story of Jesus began. 
when God spoke and His Word shattered the darkness. But this astonishing claim about where the story of Jesus began gives way to another. It's not just that the story of Jesus began at the beginning. John's second astonishing claim is that the story of Jesus is about bringing us back to the beginning. Because Jesus came down Jesus came down. He came to dawn, not only on the darkness of creation, but on the darkness we still know today. He came to dawn on the darkness of the human heart. Because the story of Jesus isn't just a story about creation, is it? It's a story about redemption. This is the the change we can believe in. Not anything Obama brought to the table. You remember his slogan. Yes, we can. No, we can't. This is the the future to believe in, not Bernie Sanders. This is how we go forward together. This is how we're stronger together. With Christ, not Clinton. And this is what's necessary to make America great again. If it was ever great before. Because this trumps that. The leaders of our world, they argue about the size of their nuclear war buttons. Apparently they're sitting on their desk right now if you watch the news this week. Or if you follow Mr. President on Twitter. But redemption is not ultimately found in those vying for political power. Whether 2,000 years ago or today. Redemption is only available in the one who made this world when Jesus shows up to remake it again. John says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He he talks of another John, the one who baptized Jesus, coming as a, a witness to the light. But the true light, John says, was coming in to the world. Some of you won't know this, but Catherine... Before we got married, she worked in a beauty salon, and and she put in the hours to eventually uh, run her own shop. And one of the things she'll tell you is that one of the most important pieces of doing that, of running a beauty salon, is the lighting. And she'll tell you that it's because in hard light, you don't look very good. I don't look very good either. In hard light, you don't look very good, so it suits a a beauty salon uh, well to be decked out with soft light so that the people coming to sit in their chairs think that they look their best when sitting in their chairs. It hides your your faults. It covers up your, 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 your failures. The problem is that you may think you look good in soft light, But when you step into fluorescent light, when you step into hard light, every imperfection is exposed. And that's why in a hospital, there are no soft lights. There's no attempt to cover up the imperfection. Now maybe in the waiting room, but certainly not in the operating room. And while Jesus was the light that dawned at creation, He's even more so the light that dawns in redemption. Not as the soft light of a beauty salon, but as the hard light of a hospital. Because Jesus came. He was coming into the world to show the world just how dark it really was. 
And then as that light, to provide it with an answer. To, as John says, enlighten the darkness. Which is, again, an astonishing claim, if you come to think of it. I think one of the most interesting TV celebrities is the chef Gordon Ramsay. You know Gordon Ramsay? One of his hallmarks being his absolute intolerance for anything that is less than perfect. You've seen Ramsay, you may know this from Hell's Kitchen or Master Chef, and you'll know that it's, it's not a good thing to get on Ramsay's bad side. And the show that I think brings this out the best is Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Kitchen Nightmares. Anybody seen it? I don't think it's running anymore. It's a good show. I like that show. Kitchen Nightmares. Ramsey is invited by a restaurant owner to, to visit their failing establishment. And most of the show passes with this Michelin-starred chef shining a light on all that's wrong with this restaurant. On the grease-caked kitchen. On the, the tasteless and textureless food. And on the tactless and thankless service. And for those restaurants that are dying a slow death, it takes someone like Ramsey to point out just how bad they've become. But as bad as it might be, and though each episode begins with his shining a light on what's wrong in these places, it ends with him shining a light on the solution. And it's a marvelous thing to watch. But this is what Jesus, even more so, came to do. In verse 14, John says, The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. He didn't have to. But He pitched His tent in our midst. That's what it means when He says He dwelt among us. He pitched His tent. Just like God had pitched His tent in the midst of His people long before. Because in Jesus, more than ever before, the Creator made His dwelling among the creatures. That in that tent, and in that temple, that in His Son, He would do for this world what only He can. And in Jesus, unlike ever before, it says, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The story of Jesus began at the beginning because it's a story about bringing us back to the beginning to dwell again with God. But it's not just about setting the clock back to let us go our own way all over again like some Groundhog Nightmare. Groundhog Day Nightmare. Remember the movie? It's a bad movie. Terrible movie. John's final astonishing claim, though, is that this story of Jesus is about bringing us back to the beginning in order that we might have what we were meant to have from the very beginning. A knowledge, a a deep, personal relationship with this God that we would not otherwise know. At least not like we ought. If you remember the stories of God dwelling among His people long ago, he had a, a tent and then a temple, but for, for all of it, he was always in there. And his people were always still out here. So that God was, was only ever known in part, and the, the one his people couldn't 
ever get to know like they yearn to. People were never good enough to know Him for who He truly was. And, and there's even one story in the Bible that, that really makes this point particularly. The story of a man named Moses who maybe came closest to seeing God, but in the end didn't. He was up on a mountain before that tent was made, before the temple was built. He begged God to see His glory. To know Him. And God agreed. But as God was preparing to to pass by, He hid Moses in the cleft of a rock. Because Moses wasn't good enough to see His face. And God passed by declaring who He was. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So that Moses could hear who God was. God's Word stood. But Moses couldn't see Him. And as much as there were faint glimpses from time to time after that, it wasn't until Jesus, until the Word of God, became the visible representation of God. That we came to gaze on the God no one ever saw before. Verse 16 says, For from His fullness we've all received grace upon grace. Remember from verse 14, the grace and truth of Jesus' glory. On top of the the grace of the law. For For John says in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. It was good. It was a grace. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So that John says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, He has made Him known. John says, here is God. Here He is. Who we were meant to know from the very beginning of the story. Merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love. Steadfast love is, is God's gracious display of His unending loyalty to His people. And faithfulness, God's utter devotion to His true, His trueness to Himself, His plan, His character. Or what John likes to call grace and truth that is known in the glory of Jesus. You want to see God. Here He is. You want to know what God is like. Look at Jesus. This God you were made for. You want to know Him? Ever feel like He's after you or mad at you or fed up with you to the point that there's no pass go? There's no more collect $200? There's only go to jail? Go straight to jail? Don't do anything else. Just get in jail. John says, look at Jesus. That's not God at all. It's a God whose steadfast love and faithfulness is demonstrated in the grace and truth of Jesus. Kath and I have had a long road these years. Heard bits and pieces of that. We've served God in a number of different contexts. We've traveled all over the world. We've had the privilege of preaching and teaching and training all over the place. 
But amidst all the experiences, one of the most humbling aspects of our, our journey together is that we've never been self-sufficient. It may come as a shock, but neither of us are independently wealthy. And we've spent our lives in dependence on the generosity of others. But we had one particular period where that was especially the case. We had just had an accident in the family. Um, I'll tell you about that sometime. Had an accident in the family. It, it, it threw us into a significant amount of debt. And we went hat in hand to the church that I was serving at. And I remember continually, over and over and over again, apologizing to this church for the burden that we had become to this body. I remember one of the responses from one of the elders who took me aside. He said, Jesse, it's not our money. And God loves, Jesus loves to be the hero. God came through the law. Grace came through the law. And God showed us what it would take to get us back with Him. But we see God most. We see the heart of God, the glory of God, in the grace and truth of the glory of God's Son. That's what John says in verse 14. That Jesus dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. But where's the glory in the Word becoming flesh? Where's the glory? Where's the glory in a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lied, laid down in a manger? Where's the glory in a, in a peasant prophet who, who wandered the countryside and then died a criminal's death? John's answer, what we're going to see as we trek through this book over the next 20 weeks, John's answer is that the glory of Jesus is concealed in His humble beginning. Revealed then in the signs and wonders He performed. But only found fully when He is enthroned on the cross. Because it's on the cross that Jesus proved Himself to be the King. Because it was on the cross that he established the kingdom. John says that to rewrite the beginning of the story, Jesus came down to, to get right what we all get wrong. To live for God like we all should have but never do. But he, he came down only in order to be lifted up again, even if he'd be lifted up to the Father by being lifted up on the cross. Because it's on the cross that He draws all men, all women, all servants of the kingdom to Himself. So no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're going through or where you come from, 
or what you're facing today because of something you did or something that was done to you in the past. No matter where you are or if left to yourself, where you think you're headed, you've got to understand that Jesus changes everything. Because the story of Jesus began at the the very beginning. And the one who made this world is the one who can remake it again, who has what it takes. And that's what this story is about. It's about bringing us back to the beginning in order that we might have what we were meant to have from the very beginning, that we might know the God we never would have known otherwise. And that we would know Him in the cross and in the crown of Jesus. Let me leave you then with a few encouragements starting off on this journey in John. First, let me encourage you when you look around at the world and it looks like the story's just falling apart. Let me encourage you, let me encourage you to remember that God is in the business of rewriting the story and that He's already begun to do that in Jesus. And He's offered us a new beginning too chorus of the song we're about to sing maybe says it the best and has been a huge comfort in my own life during times when I look around and it looks like things are just falling to bits. When it looks like this world is either too good to be true or too bad to live in. And I sing it to myself often in private. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim, whether good or bad, in the light of His glory and grace. Remember, Jesus, God is in the business of rewriting the story. Sing it to yourself. Remember that God is in the business of rewriting the story. But, but what about your story? I imagine that some of us are here today. I'm among them. I do this well who would say to John, maybe that's what God did for you. Maybe that's what what God is doing in a big sense, but not me, not my story. Let me encourage you second that that's precisely what this is. It's for you. And that's written right into the very heart of this passage, right between the light coming into the world in verse 9 and the Word becoming flesh in verse 14, the very heart of this all is that though rejected by the world, though rejected by His own, John says in verse 12 that to all who received Him, to all who believed in His name, Jesus gave the right to become the children of God. It is the heart of this Gospel. That in in Jesus, anyone willing to trust in Him rather than themselves can have their beginnings rewritten to. And rewritten so much that John can say that they would be born, like verse 13 says, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is no greater rewriting of the beginning. It doesn't matter where you come from. You put your trust in Jesus, you come from God. 
No mountain too high. There's no valley too low. No river too wide to keep Jesus from getting to you, babe. And all it takes is a little bit of faith and trust and a little bit of glory, not pixie dust. So remember that God is in the business of rewriting the story. That That's about your story as well. But let me lastly encourage you that that's about the story of those around you also. To all who believe, to all who believe, to all who receive Him. So let me encourage you, because of that, to create the space in life where you can whether with your neighbors or your coworkers, your family or your friends, where you can swap stories. Where you can have them as a piece of your life and you can ask them that simple question. What's your story? There's something spiritual about it. You ask that question, you start talking about that question, you get off the soapboxes, off the politics. There's something spiritual about that. It opens up an opportunity to, to, to pry and to push and then to share your story and then to introduce them to the story of Jesus. You'll hear it a lot from me. But put it in your calendar. Send the text today. Set up the lunch, the coffee, whatever it takes. Who is the person in your life that needs to hear this story? that they could have a new beginning too. We're at a point in um, winter where we read a lot of books in our family um, over the days, these long winter days. A lot of books. Uh, one of um, the members of our family who brings the, the largest stack of books is uh, Eden. I see Eden running around, one with the curly hair show up with a stack of books wanting to read and we'll sit there and you'll start once upon a time there was a pig say no not that one take it out of your hand throw it on the ground this one there was an old woman who swallowed a fly no it's not good enough take it on the ground throw it on the ground another one once upon a time no not that one take it out of your hand throw it on the ground why? They're just bad beginnings to her. Just chuck them to the trash. An amazing story that in Jesus, as much as our beginnings deserved to be chucked to the trash, God didn't do that, but rewrites the story. He rewrites the big story. In the beginning, now, not God speaking, but God's Word. And now He comes again. He rewrites the big story, but He rewrites your story too. That you no longer have to come from wherever you come from, but those who trust in Jesus come from God. That it's a story too good to keep to ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, looking back at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the beginning of the story of Jesus, just rattling, mind-boggling to 
understand who this man was through whom this world was made. But then when it went wrong, not giving up on it, but stepping in to rewrite this story and to do it on our behalf. I pray this year as we look at this Gospel more, I pray that we would know You more than ever before. And I pray that we would never doubt that in Jesus we have the right. And for those of us who have believed, have already become the children of God. For the sake of His glory. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.